Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. My name's Lewis Daniels, and my guest today is Kidney Transplant recipient and 2017 World Transplant Games Javelin Champion, Murray Lang. Murray talks about his experiences of competing at the British and World Transplant Games, his time on hemodialysis, and how he returned to golf after his kidney transplant. He also passes on a piece of advice from his consultant that has helped him through since before receiving his kidney in 2008. If you're enjoying the podcast, please help spread the word by telling your friends about it, and make sure you press subscribe or follow wherever you normally get your podcasts. As always, if you'd like to follow Transplant's Take on Sport on social media, all the information is in the show notes. Murray Lang, welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. How are you doing today? Hi, Lewis. How are you? Very, very good, thank you. Uh, a bit, A bit sort of down from the... The announcement yesterday for the benefit of the listeners uh we're recording this the morning after uh england and scotland went into or the morning after the announcement of england and scotland going into lockdown from i believe scotland is now in and england from i think it's midnight on tuesday midnight tonight uh so we hope you're all doing well we hope you're all coping this will be out around two weeks after that so from transport's take on sport we hope you're all doing well you hope you're coping uh, if anyone is struggling, please have a chat with someone. I'm sure all transplant recipients are more than happy to talk with you as we've all been through tough times in the last year with the shielding. And what's really been a bit of an on and off lockdown year. Murray, how have you found the last, well, 2020 and the few days we've had in 2021? Um, not too bad, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I think from the outset, sort of March time, um, I took the decision home-wise to sort of go into a bit of a lockdown about a week before the national uh, announcement. So um, I, obviously for, for my purposes, I'm the only, I'm extremely clinically vulnerable as everyone else is. So uh, my wife's very switched on to all the, the COVID um, situation and has been all the way through it. She's been uh, really spot on at keeping everybody in, in line. So we, we really, well, I was doing a bit of traveling. So we decided not to do any more traveling. I was traveling to Hampshire every week. 
Um, so we stopped that. And then, uh, yeah, literally, I think it was, I can't remember the date now, about 16th of March, I think, uh, the announcement came in. And then, you know, I've had, we had the uh, the period of time, I had a deadline, I think, that my three months was going to be up on the 9th of June. Of course, it went past that as well. So, um, but fortunately, um, it went reasonably well. Um, it wasn't too difficult. Um, I didn't leave the house, certainly for the first couple of months. Um, uh, but, you know, we were quite lucky. We had a decent-sized garden. The weather, as you probably remember, was absolutely fantastic. So Boiling, wasn't it? the garden was well and well and truly maintained, if you like. So we did pretty well in the garden. Um, built, built a chicken house, got chickens, got a new greenhouse, got vegetable patches. So we, we didn't sort of uh, spend the time um, lounging around, as it were. So... But I think it was just all about the positive thinking of it, it's just to sort of get it, let's get it done and get it out of the way, which has really been my sort of attitude all the way through um, my sort of experience of uh, transplant pre and post. So um, yeah, that sort of carried on, really. Sounds like you've had a, a productive lockdown. And we, we, we seem similar in our attitudes to it, very careful. As you might, we're on yeah. Skype at the moment, as you might be able to tell by the, the sides of my hair, um, I've taken <laughs> it quite seriously. <laughs> well, we um, yeah, the Clippers arrived via Amazon about um, nine weeks into lockdown, so um, yeah, it was getting a bit hippie-ish, so I've had fairly short hair all the way through, but uh, yeah, it took that a while to arrive, but uh, my wife's become quite adept at uh, um, the um, a three on top and one at the sides, so yeah, not bad. I think I've been, I've been once since March, which is not great, but <laughs> it'll do. We're, no one can see this, This is it's an audio only. Uh, yeah. We're going to come on to your transplant soon, as you alluded to, you're part of the Extremely Vulnerable group, but as this is a, primarily a sports podcast, I'd like to come on to the, the sports that you played before your transplant. What did you do up sure. until then? I was always, um, always a footballer, really. That was my main sport um, at school. Um, like, uh, like Steve Harrison, actually, you interviewed before, I was goalkeeper, so um, I had the easy end of the, the field to deal with. But uh, yeah, I played... Um, a lot of football, um, sort of county level, um, Saturday League county level, um, and then um, I got injured. I think sort of mid sort of early nineties, and uh, I did some refereeing. Um, so uh, yeah, always always been involved in football. Uh, football, golf certainly uh, was the sort of, sort of second sport, oh, and, and it's probably my primary sport at the moment. Um, uh, a bit of squash as well. So those, those are the main ones for me. I did some rugby at school. Rugby when I was, I was in the police as well, so just some police rugby. So f- football, you played to a decent level by the sound of it, and then went into refereeing. Uh, yeah. How long did you keep that up for until you transplant? Well, um, I was diagnosed with end-stage renal failure in 2005. Um, and, uh, yeah, about April to, in fact, it was Good Friday, the day after Good Friday, so I called it Bad Saturday on uh, in 2005. Uh, and I've I've become progressively ill up to that point, and that's the point at which the doctor uh, consultant um, said, "This is where you're going now: transplant, dialysis, transplant." Um, so I played on that day in the afternoon, um, and I carried on playing for a little bit longer. Um, so probably about a month before I started dialysis, which was the July 2005, I was playing um, vets league football. So uh, the day I got the uh, diagnosis, I uh, um, I had a really good consultant, a guy called Mike Bending, who um, everyone down this way in Surrey will know of very well. He's retired now, but uh, very much um, in the fore of sort of renal research, etc. But uh, 
his advice to me on that day was the best thing was to do was he sort of touched his template said it's all about what's up here it's all about how you deal with it he said if you can keep yourself positive up there then you're you're halfway through the battle and that's all I, and I think I mentioned earlier that's really how I sort of looked at things so um yeah and even that afternoon I played played football kept a clean sheet saved two penalties so that was oh, nice. the start of me feeling positive about moving forward and that was just me thinking right you're not going to give up on this just going to do do what you can do your best with it and that was sort of a bit of a significant thing for me that afternoon so if I can carry on like this then I should be okay and touch wood I have been really I think you're spot on with the attitude towards it so it's got to be the best way to look at it if you stay positive then you mm. can keep going further mm. and how important was the sport leading up to your transplant and I would say especially maybe golf because I know I don't know if you maybe in the same position as me I played football as well. My fitness dropped leading up to my transplant. So did golf become more important the closer to your transplant you got? Uh, well, I was still able to play golf because um, it wasn't quite as energetic. Um, I think I did start to use a buggy. Uh, I, um, I certainly played, even when I was on dialysis, I played golf. Uh, I would get tired, certainly. Um, uh, I can't remember the timeline of it, really, but I used to go to Scotland every year. Um, I was on dialysis, so I went up there for the first time and played uh, quite a tiring week. Um, up to the transplant, I was probably playing, still playing golf regularly, uh, once a week up to that point. Um, yeah, and I was sort of keen to get back to golf after the transplant as well. Was it a competitive standard you were playing at? Uh, only club, club, um, club golf. I, had a, I was a member of a golf society, so we'd um, been a member of for a long, long time. So we used to have meetings every year. I used to play into the police society days as well. I was with the police at that stage. Um, and uh, yeah, I used to play some competition. I was down to about a 10 handicap at that point. So fairly decent. Decent standard, yeah. Anyway. yeah. So then you played right the way up and then your transplant came. We'll go a bit further back yeah. to start with. When did you first find out that you had kidney problems? Um... It all started, we moved house in 2000, sorry, 1998, we moved house and I went to register with my local GP, um, did a blood test, a urine test. They picked up on the urine test that was um, a lot of protein in the urine. Um, and that uh, doctor said, I know exactly the guys go and see it, it was this mic bending. Um, so I got a appointment through him, I was with Bupa at the time, so um, I went to see him and um, diagnosed um, IgA nephritis. Uh, which is a condition that affects um, mainly young to middle-aged men, which there was no known cure and no known um, uh, cause. Um, that was my cause as well. Yeah, it, um, as you know, it sort of pushes up the blood pressure and the blood pressure affects the kidneys. It was a bit of a vicious circle, but uh, it was treated with blood pressure tablets, really. Um, and I carried on like that, no problems at all, um, up until late 2004 and I started to feel started to feel ill um, and um, all of a sudden I went to one day I think I was really ill went to the doctor emergency appointment and blood pressure was over 200 over whatever I can't remember what it was now this you did go back need to go back to see Dr. Bending and that was the um, went back at blood tests and that was that led up to the good the bad Saturday as I call it and in 2005 that's when I got the diagnosis of uh, in stage renal failure. So did you end up going on dialysis? Yeah, yeah, I went on hemodialysis. I got the diagnosis from the, um, as I say, 
I think within about uh, two or three weeks, I had the fistula uh, in my arm. Um, first surgery I'd ever had in my life. Um, and then I had to wait for that to sort of build up a bit. And then uh, it was July, uh, July 2005, I uh, went in for my um, hemodialysis at St. Helier. And I was on that for about two and a half years. It's a long time. Yeah. For those who haven't listened to, I think it was episode three that I did with Simon Elmore, who was also on hemodialysis. Could you explain to the listeners what that involves? I was never on it. Yeah, sure. Um, as I say, a fistula is effectively, as I understand it, I hope, I hope this is right, they join the artery and the vein together in the in the in my arm. They yeah, do in other parts of the body as well, but in my arm. So it's joined at the wrist, and it just builds basically builds up a big big blood vessel, and they insert two needles into that blood vessel, uh, and effectively on a loop, which goes through a big machine, the dialysis machine, which basically cleans the blood, gets rid of all the waste products. Uh, so you, I was doing it uh, three times a week for four hour sessions. I was doing many evenings as well. So not great. Not How great. did you deal with the, uh, did you need, put the needles in yourself? No, no, it was done by um, the uh, the staff of the hospital all the time. I mean, people do self-needle. Well, they certainly, uh, you can have dialysis at home now, hemodialysis at home where people self-needle or I think family members can needle them. But uh, yeah, but all the blood tests and uh, hemodialysis I've ever had, I've never watched one needle go in my arm. I just don't, it's not something I'm queasy about. It's just, I just chose not to watch it. But uh, yeah. Takes a bit of getting used to, but um, it's not too bad after after a while. So the the dialysis, thankfully, eventually stopped for you, and you got a transplant. How long did you have to wait for that? Yeah, July two thousand and five, I started. I got the transplant on the twenty third of January two thousand eight. So just over two, uh, about yeah, about two and a half years. Yeah, and that came from yeah. a cadaveric donor, didn't it? Which I've realised I've been been using that word right the way through. For anyone not transplant related, a cadaveric donor is an organ donated from someone who sadly passed away and themselves and their family have agreed to be part of the organ donation list and pass their organs on to somebody else who needs them, like you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I never never knew anything about the, the donor. Um, I think the doctor, when I first got to the hospital... Um, did let it slip where the area where the person had come from and it was a male, but I didn't know any more than that. Have you been in contact with them since? No, not directly. I've, I've sent um, letters on the anniversary of um, the transplant. Um, not all the time. I didn't do it initially. Um, but uh, I, I, I talked to, I actually talked to some donors at the transplant games. And um, I think my initially my... <laughs> Wasn't I was ungrateful at all, and um, certainly used to think about uh, the donor pretty much every day, and probably still do to an extent. Um, I just felt that uh, <clears throat> getting in touch would be something that would remind them of the bad time when they lost their sort of loved one. I was sort of thinking more about them than, than certainly my feelings, but um, no, I spoke to a donor at the uh, transplant games. My wife also sort of persuaded me, you know, this is the thing to do, and I, I did um, write to express my uh, <laughs> gratitude. Um, putting it mildly, um, and have done so ever since. But I've not had direct contact now. How did it feel expressing your gratitude to, well, to indirectly, if you like, to other donors? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd one. It is an odd one. I'm not a great one for sort of uh, expressing myself and certainly emotions too much. You know, 
the manly man that I am, I suppose, you know, I think it's a, a men's trait, isn't it? You don't talk about your feelings too much, but I've learned to. Um, and yeah, you know, you write it down and um, it's right to be saying to people, you know, I am grateful and, um, you know, you need to know that I am always grateful. Um, and I think that's what makes me, that's what settled my mind into getting into used to doing that. And it wasn't that I didn't want to do it, I didn't think I should. It was just, um, yeah, it was just something I overcame and, um, yeah, that's what I do now. So coming up as well in about two or three weeks time. That'll be the 13th anniversary. Wow. It's a long time. I hope mine gets that far. I'm nearly 18 months on. Yeah. Um, are you, do you want to talk about what happens next? Because you said to, you said in the week, you're now waiting for another one, aren't you? Or going through yeah, it again? Yeah, I've got, yeah, um, gradually. My, I mean, my, my kidney um, works pretty much straight away after the operation. I think within a day or so, maybe a couple of days it wasn't working initially properly so they decided to give me another bout of hemodialysis while i was in hospital and strangely enough and <clears throat> the fistula that i mentioned sometimes when you're on hemodialysis it can uh, rupture while you're having the hemodialysis just not doesn't it doesn't it probably sounds worse than it is but it's sort of you know the site breaking the fistula the, the machine goes alarms and everything goes off all the time and that happened to me while i was actually lying in bed on the dialysis after the transplant but it seems that that happening actually sort of kick-started the kidney. It was really weird. After that, um, the doctor said, well, this is working now. So, yeah, so that's that's what happened immediately. Um, so it took, uh, you know, I was in the hospital for five days in total. It's not too long. I, I think I was about 12, so you've, you've done quite well there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard other people saying five, and I've heard, obviously, unfortunately, other people coming up um, saying, saying much longer. I saw a documentary recently with a guy who I think was in for about three months or so. But uh, yeah, I've been pretty lucky. Um, you know, I said with this positive attitude, just going back to dialysis for a minute. I mean, it's that was my approach to it. But clearly, for some people, and I do recognise this, it's not as easy as that. And there were some people really struggling with it. I mean, I've, I've certainly the, the group of sort of about 10 people that I sat with in dialysis in a sort of a room, you sort of sat around you didn't always talk to each other but you, you got to know each other uh for us unfortunately four of them died while we were on dialysis not in the actual dialysis unit but you know you sort of lost people there it's um must be sad to say some people were yeah some people weren't as lucky as me to have their, their kidney working almost straight away as well so you know you do sort of count your blessings so after the, the first transplant you're well, you're only transplant so far you got you did get back into sport did that feel like a big moment when you started again uh, yeah, I was keen to do it. And I'd heard about the transplant games as well while I was um, on dialysis. So I knew that that was, a, that was an option for me. Um, so I was quite keen to do that. In fact, uh, the Goal Society I mentioned to you, that we were due to travel to Ireland for um, the, the, the annual trip to play golf uh, in uh, May. And I got the call to the hospital to go in for the transplant. And I texted my friends to, to say, because there was no way I was going to go while I was on dialysis. I said... I might be up for that go that uh, that trip in May. I'm sitting on a hospital bed waiting for a transplant, and that's how it turned out. That was the first sort of main trip I did after the golf. So I was over in Ireland in the uh, first week in May playing golf. So I was quite keen to get back into um, feeling better. Obviously, I was more lively as well as I, than I had been. So um, I'd sort of written off playing football because of the, the contact element. Of yeah. It. Uh, so golf was probably the main focus. 
we'll, go, we'll come back to your golf in a second. Um, I wanted to come on to what you've done, what are your other events at the Transmac Games, your field events, javelin, discus, shot put. Yeah. How did you originally get into doing those? And did do you think it came from being a goalkeeper and throwing? <laughs> Um, well, actually, at school, I played obviously rugby and football at school, but I also did athletics at school. And um, yeah, again, I, uh, with javelin was my main sport. I did that to county standard at school, but hadn't done anything athletics-wise after leaving school. Um, so when I got the opportunity to go to the first games, which was um, Coventry in 2009, um, I just sort of looked, looked at the list of things to do. There was golf. I did fishing, I think, that time. I did uh, put myself down for the discus and shot put because I knew I'd done them at school. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't do javelin at that point, actually. Um, so that was really the first time I picked up anything like a shot or a discus since school time. So that's what got me into it. But yeah, throwing the ball from football was pretty good because it kept the shoulders pretty pretty fit. <laughs> did it just feel natural to get back into the, the ones you were good at at school? It did, actually. Um, as I say, I mean, literally... I don't even think I properly trained for Coventry in terms of javelins and shots. Um, uh, yeah, so unfortunately that year my, my father passed away, so I'd had a quite a busy summer dealing with everything with that relation to that. But um, So I think the first time I picked the shot up was at, at Coventry on that day. Um, so, uh, yeah, I sort of got back into it gradually. But it was all right. It was good. Well, I won gold, I won gold at the shot on that, that one, so uh, that was well, quite, a, quite a surprise. Oh, first time. Yeah, yeah, I'm really absolutely gobsmacked on that. I did swimming as well as commentary actually, to Shumford. Yeah, so yeah, it was good. And then I think about I missed the next two transplant games because I had an injury, I think, and I couldn't go to Belfast. And then I, the 2012, it was down in Medway, and that's when I started. I haven't, I've been to everyone since then. So, and that's when the javelin came in. Have you got any sort of training program that you follow throughout the year to get you ready for the transplant games yeah i have now um certainly weight lots a lot of weights um i mean i also do running now i mean i, I mean the park run didn't exist before i had my transplant it obviously does now but i've got into park run quite a lot in, in terms of participating and organizing which has been quite good um so the running side of that keeps me fit um yeah it's a gradual sort of um weights regime from about sort of March, April time up to usually August time, uh, transplant games. But uh, yeah, I've set myself some. I did, um, I have been member of a gym as well, but I've got, we've got weights in the garage, the weights bench and things like that. So nothing too elaborate, but uh, good enough. Useful to have. Yeah. We'll come on to the results of that training program. And you said Javelin was was the one. Uh, yeah. World champion Javelin at the trans World Transplant Games 2017. How did it feel to win that? Oh, um, uh, just it was just amazing, and it was bizarre as well because um, uh, it was my first World Transplant Games, um, and I, again I was doing golf, and I was doing the three field events, and the golf was first. I played golf um, in the singles, and I played the team game uh, with a guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he'll never forgive me, but uh, George Mortlock, who's quite well known to everyone uh, for the British Transplant Games. I got paired with him and he, he must have regretted it because the first hole, I took a shot, the second shot, I think, and I pulled my groin really badly, pulled my groin, and I was limping all the way around the golf course. And I thought, I'm never going to be able to do the, the field events like this. Anyway, 
Uh, we played so bad. I played so bad at the goal. Poor old George. I don't. I think he'll forgive me. Anyway, um, we got to the athletics, and um, I was really hampered in the shot. I just could not, could not get anywhere near what my best was. Discus was pretty much the same. And the, the javelin was on the second day at the end, and um, I'd had a lot of um, the physios. The British team had a fantastic. Uh, I went for a session with the physio before the uh, javelin. Put loads of ice on this. Uh, went out. It was, it was so hot, and they had all these um, ice cold drinks. So I was holding ice cold drink on my groin between throws. And for some reason, out of the blue, um, I just launched this javelin over about was over 36 meters and won it. I didn't realize I'd won it. I thought I was about third, or I thought I got a medal, but I thought I was second or third. And everyone got together at the end of it, looked down the list, and I thought I won it. I just couldn't believe it. It was just, it was a really emotional, really emotional. The first person I saw after it, my wife was up at the stand with my son. And the first person I saw was the physio, give me the physio. He said, Oh, how'd you get on? Not expecting. I won the gold. I can't jump it up and down. It was uh, brilliant, fantastic. Do you think the the injury uh, could have helped in a way? The adrenaline, just oh, I'll throw this, throw this as hard as I can, as far as I can. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I mean, it, was, it literally was my last chance of getting a medal at the games. I thought I don't want to go home from here without a medal, and I thought I actually I got myself in the position to get maybe the bronze, possibly the silver. I think I must have missed the, some of the throws, not watching, but. Um, it was, uh, yeah, and then um, they had quite a good ceremony, medal ceremony, which was was pretty good. And up on first, it was just, oh, yeah, no, it's just been amazing, amazing. And it made it all worthwhile, you know, and, and sort of the perseverance and the positivity sort of comes out of that. And it was, um, yeah, so I'm, from that moment on, I was, I was, um, I was addicted to doing it again. <laughs> so, um, and I went to went to Newcastle and. Um, in 2019, um, didn't do quite as well. I was slight, had a, a bit of an issue with my shoulder, but I got the bronze in Newcastle, so that was good. But uh, yeah, but you know, these these are the sort of things you can achieve when you get the uh, you get the opportunity. Absolutely. So I sort of hope I make the most of it. At the World Transplant Games, what's the atmosphere like there with transplant recipients from all over the world and donors from all over the world? Uh, amazing. I mean, I've made I've made a lot of, loads of friends in Transmart Games, and certainly British Games, certainly uh, with the St Helier team and um, everyone else. You, know, you you see all the regular people play golf and doing athletics, and you know, I've trained with people from um, a good friend uh, Bob Hodgkiss, uh, Nick Stonehouse, who are both good uh, field eventers in my age group, um, and, and in the internationally as well. You meet you meet people. I've got Facebook friends from all over the world now. You know, Hungary. America, New Zealand, um, yeah, all of the like mind. You know, you're all there for a reason. No one really wants to be there. If you at the bottom line, it's the sort of the British team is a team you don't want to be in because you have to, one of the qualifications is to have a transplant, which nobody really wants. But once you've got it, you make the most of it. So, but yes, yeah, so one of the best things I've got involved in um, ever. Uh, Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. I think uh, the organisers of it, people, you know, people like Lynn Holt and uh, Barry Laverick and uh, other coaches are, are do a fantastic job, really fantastic job. Absolutely. It's, I think it's the third. I think it's the third biggest um, GB team that um, that competes anywhere. Wow. Um, second only to the Olympics and the Paralympics. If I think that's right. You know, so it's quite an honour to be part of. Would you say that's one of your proudest moments in transplant sport, being selected? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I've been selected before for it to go to um, Argentina and um, South Africa and Australia, I think, but I just, I just couldn't um, commit to it, unfortunately. But um, yeah, no, that definitely Spain was, you know, and I want to do it again. I want to do it again. I mean, um, I don't know if you're aware, they've just announced that um, the Transplant Games, yesterday they announced the Transplant Games in 2003 are going to be in uh, Perth in Australia. Yeah, hopefully and get there. So that is, for me, that's a, that's a target. Our total target now um, would be to get there, and I'll be over into the I'll be up into the next age range. Then I'll be sixty-one by then. So, I mean, I'd like to, <laughs> the younger end. Well, the javelin, the javelin will be lighter. That's for certain. Javelin distance shot will all be a bit lighter, so it might go a bit further. You never know. The spring chicken of the age group. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's one word for it. <laughs> we'll come. We'll come on to the golf that we've talked about a few times throughout this podcast so far. The golf after transplant. The javelin might help in a way because if if you have a bad round at golf, you can throw your clubs further than anyone else. <laughs> yeah, probably under arm or the under arm, but yes, yeah, I probably could get quite a good distance. Yeah, yeah, there have been times when I've been tempted, definitely. Yeah, yes, that sort of game, isn't it? Pick the flag up. Yeah, that's that's probably about as close as it comes. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how whether I'll be able to get back to the same club again. But there we are. <laughs> so we said before before you transplant you were playing competitively and your handicap was 10 uh, yeah. have you been able to get back to the same level that you were at before you transplant I'm not quite back there I'm, I'm playoff uh, 15 now um, 
I don't play as much golf as I, I like. I would like to. I mean, work gets in the way a little bit as well. But um, and obviously, lockdown's been a bit of a, a bit of a pain in that respect. It just closed close the golf courses once again. But um, yeah, I don't play as much. Um, but uh, it's a good uh, a good walk spoiled, they call it, don't they? <laughs> it's, it's good to get get a bit of um, bit of exercise, a bit of fresh air as well, especially with the lockdown. We've been locked up effectively for a while. It's good to get out and about. Have you been able to get many rounds in this year? Um, last year, if you like now. Last year, I think I probably, in total, probably played about a dozen times. Yeah, so I did, I did play my, uh, up to March, and then, uh, yeah, I think, again, I didn't play again until about sort of uh, September, but I got quite a few rounds in towards the end of the year. I joined a youth club, so um, I was sort of making the most of it, really. Were those dozen rounds that you got even more important in the year that we've had? For the social side yeah, and the relaxation. Yes, it is. As much as you know, staying at home with the family is a, is, is a good thing. It's a great thing, obviously. Um, you spend some quality time with your family. You know, it is good to get out and about uh, and see different people. Um, uh, I've got some good friends you can play golf with who are the sort of people who uh, will lift your spirits if you need it done. I mean, I'll keep, as I say, I'll keep very positive, but um, it's good to get out and have a laugh with different people as well. Uh, no disrespect to people at home, of course, but um, yeah, and uh, get your steps up and uh, get your exercise uh, exercise minutes in on your Fitbit and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I imagine in the social side of golf is similar to cricket, which is my main sport, and that you're spending a long time outside with the same with same people, like-minded people. Yeah, yeah, and I presume you can just talk about all sorts of nonsense really while you're walking around. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we obviously talk, we talk about a lot of what's going on outside and the lockdown level, how the government are doing well or not doing well or whatever your view is on it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it, it, I think I probably enjoy golf for the social side slightly more than I do the playing side, but um, I play reasonably well. Um, but it's always good. I mean, British, British games is a good example of that. You know, you, you see everybody the same every year. You see the same people. There's some real characters of the golf uh, fraternity, shall we call it? Uh, and it's, it's, it's something to look forward to. Or every year, it's something to look forward to. Um, even if you golf dog, you don't play that well. But uh, yeah, they're a good bunch. They're a good bunch of people. I think so, golf's something I think I'd like to be good at. I've only tried once on a three club challenge. Yeah, you and, you and me both. <laughs> I'd like to be good at it as well. And we spoke about steps on the golf course. Another way to get your steps in that you've started is park run. Uh, yeah. What attracted you to that? Uh, well, my wife started doing it. Uh, I mean, if you just said to me uh, when I left school, you, you know, one day you'll be running 5K runs every Saturday morning. I thought you were mad. I hated running. Absolutely hated it. Used to hate cross country at school. Uh, but my wife got into a park run at our local one, which is Vansley Woods. And... Um, so I went along with the dog and uh, walked the dog while she was running and then sort of watched and thought, yeah, I might give it a go one day. And then, uh, yeah, sort of gradually got persuaded to do it. Oh, I did, well, maybe I might do it. And got into it. And again, that's a similar sort of situation to, you know, the groups of people you, you play golf with, etc. Such nice people. Uh, everyone's like-minded. It's not, a, there's nothing competitive about it. You know, you compete against yourself. You know, you try and beat your best time from last week. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we got into the um, organisation of it, the volunteering for it as well, which has been good. So it's good social side of things. What does the organisation involve? 
Um, well, effectively, they have a management team who um, effectively set up and run the, the, the run, if you like. Um, so you set up the course, you set up the finishing line, you set up the starting line. Um, you have volunteers who are placed all around the course just to make sure everyone's going in the right direction. Marshalling, you have timers, you have barcode scanners, you have a barcode scanner. So there's quite a lot of it. Uh, there's good, good uh, certainly bands is a good 20 to 25 people volunteering. So um, certainly if you're, if, if you do run director role, which I've done a few times, you're sort of in charge of everything. You have quite a responsibility in terms of health and safety and that sort of stuff. So um, but yeah, you have running marshals as well. So, um, so I've done, I think I've done 110 park runs now. Um, but it's great. Again, it's you getting out in the fresh air. Um, unfortunately, obviously that's succumbed to lockdown as well. Uh, when that will come back, I don't know, but uh, maybe spring. Possibly summer now. Hopefully soon. Yeah, t- totally. totally. Have you got to know a lot more people through that that you're now you know, friendly with? You might go out running with uh, away from the events. Um, I don't know about running away from the events, but uh, I do know, yeah, I, I mean, the, the one thing that has happened through Park Run is that I actually got into, um, I actually joined a local athletics club. Uh, people got to learn about my sort of transplant games um, activities and um, I ended up speaking one day to someone who was uh, the coach down at Rygate Priory and um, through a friend and um, said I'll come down we've got a Vets League um, team we're starting next year so I got involved with that so that was um, that was good because that got me involved in athletics and uh, the non-transplant sports side of things so I'm actually competing against able bodies if that's the right word you know people fully fit who've not had transplants so um, that was quite a challenge um i think i've done fairly well with that as well so uh, you're say you're holding your own in there well yeah i mean I, I think the last three years i've been in the top 13 in the uk javelin for my age group very good um so i, was, I did the master the british masters a couple of years ago and came seventh so yeah good enough good enough i didn't never thought i would be doing that sort of stuff um but again, it's enjoyable. The people, you, again, you get to know the competitors. You do you compete against the same teams, so you get to know some of the other athletes and everything. So again, it's another another group of friends. So you know, I keep keep making these groups of friends, which can't be a bad thing. Yeah, only only good to have as many friends as you can. More people to talk to, especially now when if you're going to talking so important at the moment. If you've got yes, so many people yeah. you can go to, it's it's a nice thing. Yeah, it's all by WhatsApp group now. It's unfortunately there's a problem, but it's, uh, well, most of it is anyway. But yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, they're very supportive as well. Have you got any plans to run at the Transplant Games? Uh, no. Um, apart from the donor run, I think I'll do the donor run next time. I didn't do it in Newport. Was the last one I was at. I, did, I should have done it actually, but to meet my wife was coming down on the afternoons. So I had to pick her up. Um, that's my excuse anyway. But uh, yeah, the donor runs uh, pretty good. Nice atmosphere. They do a lot of the quayside in Newport, and it was yeah good fun to do. So, um, but I've done park every time I've been to a British Transplant Games, I've done a local park run there. So, I've done park runs all over the place: so Liverpool, Newcastle, Scotland, uh, as well. So, yeah, but um, yeah, I don't think I'm quite fast enough for running the, the Transplant Games. Could be, maybe it's a little too, too many fast people. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, you, you see the speed of some of these guys who, who run. I mean, I'm not necessarily my age group. I mean, you see the likes of people like Steve Jarvis, who just is an amazing sprinter. 
Um, Simon Perkins, a middle distance runner, uh, just, oh, you just look at them, you think, surely you've not had a transplant. You know they have, obviously, but uh, yeah, no, they're, they're way above my level in that respect, so. But they can't throw javelin, so there we are. There you go, <laughs> every cloud. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to going, hopefully, this summer, if it goes ahead, hope it does. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, it's, I mean you know, it's, people will see the transplant sport page, you know, talk about leads and you know, someone was saying yesterday, oh, I really hope it's not going to be off. I, I think it's a bit early to, to write it off at the moment. Yeah. I think once the, vac once the vaccinations kick in, hopefully by August time, which is when it's due to happen, that it should all be done. And I think most people from the transplant community should have had their vaccines by then. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed they work when we get our our full doses. Yeah, yeah, quite, quite. Murray, it's been it's been a pleasure to chat to you. I've not spoken to you before this, and I've I've learned from you as I have from everyone who's been on the podcast. A few more things before we wrap this up. What would you say has been your greatest achievement in transplant sport? Uh, well, I suppose it has to be the gold medal at uh, in Malaga. Um, That's what I would guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but even the first, you know, the first time where I competed in 2009, uh, it was the first time I'd any involvement in the, the transplant game. So you know, that sort of kick-started my sort of interest in it. Um, so that was getting you know, a gold medal at shot on the first day um, in commentary. It was a, just as Cracking good an achievement because it just showed me that I could sort of bounce back and uh, do those sort of things. So, um, but uh, yeah, being selected for, the, for, for a British team, you know, is, is quite an honour. Yeah, it must but be very much so. special feeling. Yeah, and getting the shirt on with GB on the back and everything like that. Yeah, it's pretty special. And the the final question that I've been asking everyone who's been on the podcast so far, what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant? Yeah, well, it's, again, it's got to be that advice I was given by Mike Bending. You know, he, he points to his temple and said, it's all about what's up here. You know, if you can stay positive about things, you know, it's not always going to be easy. If you can try and stay positive, uh, and a look ahead to what you, you some people can achieve on it. That's the way to approach it if you can. It's not always possible for some people. I know that, but um, you know, if you can keep it up there, that everything's going to be okay, uh, and you make the most of it when you when you get the transplant, then you can't go far wrong, in my opinion. I think you've nailed it there. If you think positively, it's it's going to do you a lot of good. Yeah. Try try and always. Yeah. I mean, I I said a few episodes ago. So then I was told by a psychologist, think about what you can control now. If you can't change it now, don't fret about it. Yeah. Stay positive. Yeah. Keep thinking it's, that it's going to be all right. You'll get If you're on the waiting list for a long time, you'll get your transplant eventually. And hopefully with the new, the new law that came in last year, more people get their second chance at life. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I'm hoping I'm not going to have to wait two and a half years for the next one. Um, but again, obviously, that depends on someone, unfortunately, having to um, to donate one to me. So it's a bit of a mixed sort of uh, bag, really, the emotions involved in that. But um, I think um, just to add to what I said, um, advice-wise, after transplant, if you're that way inclined, I would definitely get involved in the transplant games. Definitely, without a doubt. You'll meet so many people who are like-minded, and it's not until you actually go to those sort of events talk to people you know you then you realize you're not on your own and people understand what you've been through so you can just talk to them on a sort of not on a normal level but um, people understand and you get so much encouragement I, I absolutely recommend it to everybody there you go 
Murray Lang, my guest today. Thank you very much for coming on. Once again, I've enjoyed it. Been a joy to listen to you and have a chat with you. A uh, few things from me before we go. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and family about it. I'd love to get as many people listening as we can and build a real community here. Or if, if you're not enjoying it, just tell your friends you did anyway and tell them where to listen. <laughs> and if you're listening on Apple, it would mean a huge amount to me if you could go onto the the podcast page and just press five stars on the rating. That'll help more people see it. And hopefully we can bring more transparent recipients and family, anyone else really, any sports fans, anyone who wants to listen, bring them all together, get them all listening, get everyone interacting and hopefully bring people together and we can learn, talk about transparent sport, sport itself together. Uh, so thanks once again to my guest today, Murray Lang. I've been Lewis Daniels and you've been listening to Transplant's Take on Sport. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.